And to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again here on Winning Ponies. I'm sure we've got a winning show for you tonight. A name familiar to anyone that's been following horse racing over the past few decades. The one, the only, the incredible Hall of Famer, Pat Day, will be on with us. And then following that, we're going to have uh, Stephen Christ, who I think is one of the most uh, articulate uh, writers and speakers about thoroughbred racing, bringing his more than 30 years of experience here. Uh, of course, he's uh, a well-known author, and uh, he's the uh, editor and publisher emeritus of the Daily Racing Forum. So bringing you really two top excellent guests here uh, this day. I, I must say I'm doing this show with a bit of a heavy heart, uh, more than a bit, I should say. Uh, a very, very personal friend of mine, uh, a man I loved, and uh, a guy that uh, touched the lives of a lot of people uh, in racing and in northern Kentucky and, and Ohio. His, his name was Father Frank Niehaus. Uh, he was amazingly active in the Cincinnati community uh, throughout the time uh, uh, that, that he was a priest, and then supposedly he retired. Well, how many guys you know retire and uh, go into owning and breeding thoroughbred racehorses? He loved the game, but even more than how he loved the game, he loved the people in it. And uh, he created uh, his own organization. Uh, he was the full staff. It was called Backstretch Works of Mercy. And plenty of Works of Mercy, uh, Father Niehaus did over the years, uh, both at uh, Turfway and River Downs. Uh, many uh, went uh, certainly unacknowledged. I found out a lot of things that he did for people behind the scenes. Uh, of course, every Sunday he would uh, hold a uh, Catholic Mass uh, at, at uh, both facilities when they were racing live, so the backstretch workers uh, w- would have a place to go. It was always quite an interesting mixed audience. About half of them still had mud on their boots as they made their way to, to Mass every Sunday. And uh, uh, Father Niehaus would always uh, tie the sermon into something they could relate to that was kind of, you know, the love of the game, the love of the uh, horse, uh, you know, the, the things that, uh, that that Christ would do and the things that you would do out of the your love that you have for the people you work with and the horses you, you have. He could really speak to the people uh, at the backstretch. And some of the things he did, uh, like I say, behind the, the scenes, I was uh, over on the backstretch at River Downs, and he did this every summer, but all of a sudden over the uh, announcer's microphone comes, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, today's the day. Father Frank's buying lunch for everyone on the backstretch. And that announcement was made several times, and Father Frank, I sat in the booth with him while just about every single uh, groom and exercise rider and uh, uh, trainer, everybody was welcome, made their way through the track kitchen, and he 
got the receipt at the end of the day, and he tallied up. So uh, that collection box on Sunday did not go into his pocket. Also, a very big effort of Father Frank's was uh, the Christmas party over at Turfway Park. He would put together a really nice package, nice warm socks and gloves and, and clean underwear and toys for the kids. Um, you know, a little bit of something for everybody on top of a, a great meal, and then he would often have the children of the backstretch workers uh, put on a Christmas pageant. Uh, he was just an amazing man. So uh, this is breaking news for you. I know it's you're going to go with a heavy heart, but uh, Father Frank uh, will uh, will never stop thinking about you. Well, let's uh, move this along into some of the the good news things that are that are happening in in racing. And one was uh, down at Bourbon County this weekend. We talked to you about the Secretariat Festival, and uh, the day before, of course, was the unveiling of the new movie with uh, featuring Penny Shannery. And uh, a bit of an eye opener there is she revealed an affair with Lucian Lauren. Inside of the film, Penny and Red, The Life of Secretariat's Owner. Uh, this was, again, at the Fazig Tipton Sales Pavilion on Friday. And, of course, the Internet was flying after that. Uh, and uh, Penny just uh, she had some strong things to say about it. And, hey, at 91 years old, I guess she can say whatever the heck she wants to say. And, and the truth did come out about her affair with none other than Lucian Lauren. Uh, both of them were married at the time. The festival itself was just fantastic. Uh, they had, uh, you know, miniature horses uh, that, that looked like Secretariat. You could pose there. Charlie Davis, uh, Secretariat's exercise rider, was there, and uh, he was oh, he was just a great guy to get to know. Uh, Otto Thorworth was there. Of course, people were noticing him going weren't you Ron Turcott in the Secretariat movie? And uh, Otto uh, obliged for photos and autographs with everybody. And then, of course, Secretariat's own writer, uh, Ron Turcott, was there willing to sign anything uh, that you had. There were day-long events, uh, fantastic food. So uh, it should happen once a year. Again, uh, it, it happens down not far from Clayboard Farm. They even gave tours to the farm. So put that on your list of things to do. That was the sixth annual Secretariat Festival. All right, well, also down in the Bluegrass region, it was uh, the uh, the Keeneland sale that ended on a very, very high note. Uh, the, the change of format, we discussed that uh and how they thought that it would affect the book. Well, it certainly did affect the book in a very, very positive way. Not only the book, but the sales ring. And uh, it was just, uh, it was something else. The uh, the auction grossed over $280 million, 27% higher than 2012's gross. And they only sold just 200 more yearlings. It also saw the uh, the average and the median were up. Uh, the average was 102000 $220. Book one had 18 yearlings sell for $1 million or more, nearly three times as many millionaires that were sold last year, and the most back uh, before the big crash in 2008 when 18 millionaires were also sold. Of course, uh, the, the topper in there was a uh, Warfront Colt. Man, he was hot. Uh, out of the stakes place, uh, Blading Gold Ring by During. Um, M.V. Magnier uh, signed for that. Another horse that brought more than $2 million was a $2.2 million f- top filly. What a family she came from, a daughter of the late Indian Charlie, half-sister to grade one winners, will take charge and take charge Indian. Again, that's a filly 
So uh, she's going to have a lot of residual value. Uh, among the season's first crop sires, uh, the hot ones were Quality Road. He was the leader by gross sales. And Claiborne Farms Blame, he had the best average prices. His 28 yearlings averaged $194,000. $300. And at the close, well, it was Sheikh Mohammed's brother, Shadwell Estate, Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum, the auction's leading buyer overall. He picked up 27 horses for over $11 million, while MV Magnier, led by an average price paid for three or more, average $1.4 million. Well, keep your fingers crossed because it looks like uh, Jackie Joel Rosario will be back in the saddle soon. They say probably the weekend of October 12th and 13th, according to his agent, Ron Anderson. Uh, so uh, he's been under the treatment of Dr. Rick Alfred, and it looks like uh, he's still going to stay in a boot cast for one more week, and then he's going to undergo a final exam before he can start galloping horses. So uh, we, we wish him the best. It'll be, be very interesting to see uh, if uh, you know some Breeders' Cup mounts uh, open up for him. Um, one horse you won't see in the Breeders' Cup who had a very good season is Departing. Uh, he's going to go out in the $400,000 Oklahoma Derby at Remington Park. That's going to be on Sunday, and uh, he'll be making his eighth outing of the year, and it hopes to add this to his list of five wins, including the West Virginia Derby, who's a grade two, and the Illinois Derby, grade three. And uh, according to... Uh, Al Stahl, he says, uh, this will be his last start of the year. He's a gelding, and if he's good enough to be considered for the Breeders' Cup as a three-year-old, he's good enough to be in it as a four-year-old. Uh, so uh, departing again, going out this season in the $400,000 Oklahoma Derby. Well, it looks like uh, one veteran we won't be seeing anymore is Richard's kid, uh, two-time winner of the Pacific Classic, and uh Six total graded stakes races, earnings over $2.4 million. Uh, uh, it was announced by Doug O'Neill uh, that uh, he uh, had a little hitch in his get-along and nothing that he wanted to push, considering that the horse is uh, he is eight years old, so he's going to be off the stud. It's great to see an older horse staying in training as long as he did. Another older horse that stayed in training had quite a resume is uh, Animal Kingdom. And, of course, they say that uh, he's off to a good start. He is he's going to be a shuttle stallion. And uh, I guess his first six mares have been confirmed in full down under. They say he's uh, the smartest first-season stallion I've ever seen. Of course, after standing in the Southern Hemisphere, where a stud fee in Australian money is 38500 he's coming back to the U.S., to stand the 2014 season at Sheikh Mohammed's Darley near Lexington. Well, some uh, interesting news about another retiree, and I'm not talking about Richard's kid, uh, is going to be none other than Bucky Sally. That name sounds familiar. Bucky Sally was the uh, bugler at Keeneland, for more than 50 years. He was a native of Lexington, Kentucky, a great guy to be around. Uh, was always happy to jump in for a picture with anybody. He was a real icon back there. Uh, he became a renowned musician playing the trumpet, the tenor sax back in the 50s and 60s with bands like Little Enos and the fabulous Table Toppers and Lexington's legendary jazz musician Clarence Duke Madison. He also performed with a number of headliners, including uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Boots Randolph, Charlie Daniels, Fats Domino, and Pee Wee King. And on October 9, 2002, he made his 10th 
thousandth call. Uh, Bucky is going to be uh, at the track on opening weekend, so uh, you can get your picture taken with him. Uh, and get a chance to uh, tell you how, how much the, you enjoyed his uh, bugling at beautiful Keeneland over the years. All right, well, last week we uh, had the chance to handicap uh, four solid races with our friend Tom Lamara from the Blood Horse, and starting off with a race that could have an impact on the Breeders' Cup Classic, and that was the Pennsylvania Derby, grade two, million dollars up for grabs, and that lured... The Travers one two horses will take charge and Moreno, and all you had to do was go to the window with the same matchup. Will take charge though, a much easier winner this time. Came back from fifth and edged away with Luis Sayez in the saddle, trained by D. Wayne Lucas. Will take charge over Moreno, who dropped back to about fourth in the uh, in the stretch and then came back to get the second spot. Then, of course, there was the uh, cotillion there, and uh, the winner of this race, Close Hatches, a Mott trainee with Mike Smith in the saddle, uh, was stalked, roused, edged away to win by two links after Sweet Lulu, an undefeated filly out of the Jerry Hollendorfer barn. She led most of the way but could not overtake close hatches. At Belmont, we set up some lightly raced horses against a veteran horse, and it was a lightly raced cluster of stars who is now six for six. She's a four-year-old uh, daughter of Greeley's Galaxy, a horse that only stands for $2,500, held off dance to Bristol. They ran one, two, all the way down the lane, and that's the way it stayed. Congratulations to the connection. Cluster of stars. We'll see if she can stretch out, but she's undefeated now at four. And then we rounded it out with the Charlestown Oaks, the winner so many ways. You love to see this, a horse by a $3,500 stallion sightseeing who was purchased for 22000 so many ways, wins the $400,000 Charlestown Oaks. And uh, with its seventh jockey, seventh different jockey in a row in the saddle, Miguel Mania, and a very nice ride. And it looks like Maggie Moss sold this horse to interest in Japan. So not too bad. A $22,000 investment turned into who knows what when a horse goes to Japan. Well, we're going to go to a little bit of a break right now. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Hall of Fame jockey Pat Day. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Well, I walk into the room Passing out hundred-dollar bills And it kills and it thrills Like the horns on my Silverado grill and I buy the bar, double round the crown, and everybody's getting down in this town. Ain't never gonna be the same. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. 
Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and uh, now with me, a guest I've been dying to get on the show. Uh, for somebody that's supposedly retired, he has a, a pretty busy schedule. Uh, uh, Pat Day, of course, his name is, Eclipse Award winner, outstanding jockey on four occasions. On five occasions, he was the champion jockey by wins. Uh, he was the champion jockey by earnings, uh, probably uh, – Awards that uh, mean more than some of those wins and some of the money, uh, the George Wolf and the Mike Venezia Award, where your peers uh, vote you in as the, the uh, recipient of those awards. And uh, with no further ado, because if I read his resume, we'll run out of time. With me is Pat Day. Pat, how are you doing? Oh, John, I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, nice to be on board with you this evening. Well, it's been great uh, running into you recently. Uh, for, for somebody that uh, doesn't ride on a regular basis anymore, I must say uh, you look pretty good in the battle in the saddle at the horse park back in July. Well, I, I appreciate that. We, we, we were having a great time and uh, just, just blessed to, to be invited to various uh, events and, and uh, all, for the most part horse-related or God-related, so it's all good. Well, it's a great blend, and another one that I, that I saw yet uh, just two weeks ago, uh, benefiting the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Fund, uh, was the, uh, the the fundraiser down at Kentucky Downs. Now, you got to admit, that was not only a fundraiser, that was a fundraiser with your peers that were on deck that evening. Oh, and, and, and uh, what a great group of guys, and uh, what, a, what a splendid event. Uh, certainly, my hats off to Kentucky Downs and this, you know, the the management there, Corey Johnson and them that uh, that put that together. And I haven't heard any numbers, but I trust that it was successful in raising a significant amount of money for the uh, for the for the jockeys fund for the permanently disabled jockeys fund. 
Yeah, I tried to pull my checkbook out over at the silent auction, but there were some guys there with some pretty deep pockets, which is bad for me, but good for the charity. So, Amen. I was Amen. happy happy for them. Well, uh, Pat, as I as I go through uh, your biography, and uh, you know, uh, recently I've read uh, Jack Van Berg's and Garrett Gomez's. It, it's very interesting uh, to learn what I didn't know about them before they got into racing. I just wish you would share with our audience for a minute or two. Uh, what was it like growing up being Pat Day? Well, I was uh, growing up. I was decidedly small. Um, in the eighth grade, I weighed 63 pounds and was four foot seven. Uh, I had I hit a growth spurt between eighth grade and ninth grade and grew to uh, basically the size I am today, four foot eleven and and a hundred pounds. And uh, uh, and I wrestled in high school was the only sport I could really do and be competitive at and, and thoroughly enjoyed that. But in the midst of all of that, growing up there in the mountains in Colorado, uh, was raised on a small farm in the heart of a, a ranching farming community and, uh, around livestock, uh, fell in love with horses at an early age, uh, loved to ride as, as I, I do today. I still love riding, but uh, got involved with rodeos when I was about nine and, uh, and then I was on the rodeo team in high school. When I graduated, I uh, had a dream of being a professional bull rider. Uh, that didn't come to pass, but uh, as I was pursuing that, uh, met some people that suggested or recommended that uh, I try being a jockey. And uh, uh, lo and behold, that was uh, that was a perfect fit. Um, got introduced to the great sport of horse racing, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, and uh, quite a, an interesting uh, history uh, you had. Now, um, your early successes, where did they take place? Well, I won my first horse race on uh, July 29, 1973, at Prescott Downs in uh, Prescott, Arizona. And then um, uh, remained there the remainder of that race meet. I uh, went to uh, my first race in Southern California, was at the Los Angeles County Fair. It, it was Pomona then. I think they call it Fairplex today. Um, and and uh, I won one race there, and then we went north to the uh, to Fresno to the county fair there I was fortunate enough to win one race there and then went back to Phoenix turf paradise for the winter and I uh, had a had a great race meet uh, really started to catch on uh, over the course of the winter and and uh, uh, and then headed back east after that well obviously uh, anybody that uh takes a look at the, the, the major races that, that you won and the number of uh, championships uh, that you won uh, will know that you certainly uh, learned your, your craft well. Uh, but not all, not all was good with Pat Day, and that certainly has been what has impacted your life to this day and you taking a negative and turning it into a positive. Well, you know, I, I can't take credit for that, John. Um, you know, I, I think that I was... I know that I was tremendously blessed with talent and ability, and, and uh, I believe that God was orchestrating my career from the onset. Uh, it came fast and furious. I enjoyed success almost immediately. Uh, took that for granted. Didn't appreciate it. Didn't appreciate the people I was working for, working with, the success I was enjoying. At the end of the day, I started looking for higher highs, uh, realizing that there was something missing in my life, and thought it might be found in a, in a drug and alcohol and sordid lifestyle. Got involved in that and was continuing to be successful. Uh, the Lord led me to a beautiful woman in 79, got married, 
that had a bit of a stabilizing effect on my life, but there was still something missing. And then in 1982, I was fortunate enough to be leading writer in North America. I felt certain that if I could win the national writing title, that that would uh, fill this void in my heart, that that would, that would be the completion, and uh, it didn't. I won the national writing title uh, and discovered that, uh, though it was a tremendous accomplishment, uh, it wouldn't fill that void. And that sent me searching for answers, ultimately led me to the foot of the cross, and in January of 1984, January 27, 1984, in a hotel room in Miami, Florida, uh, I went to my knees and, and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and uh, uh, I discovered that uh, that was the true source of joy and peace and contentment. All that I'd been trying to find in the things of the world, a successful writing career or the, the partying or, or whatever it was that I was endeavoring to do, uh, ultimately uh, it was found in and is the direct result of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone that has the opportunity to be around you for just a few minutes uh, will, will feel that. It's, it's, it's as if you're in a beautiful church and you see the light come through the stained glass windows, and they say that the light comes through the saints. And uh, and being around that, you give off such such positive vibe. I, I really got to think that you've been an inspiration to others. And, uh, you know, now that, that you've been in, quote, retirement, and I know you're certainly not, uh, can you tell us what, what your days are filled with these days? Well, you know, when, when uh, after that event in that hotel room in 84, um, I immediately thought that I thought that I was, I was being called into the ministry and gave serious consideration to, to leaving the racing industry, going to seminary, and becoming a minister. Uh, it was then that I realized, as I, as I reflected on my career at that point, uh, and realized the significant success that we had enjoyed, even though I had taken full credit for that, I realized that it was due in no small part to the tremendous amount of ability that the Lord had blessed me with. I'd even gone so far as to call it God-given talent on occasion. And as I recognized that, I started questioning, would it be right to turn and walk away from that? Uh, it was then that I met the, the chaplain, Mike Spencer, at Hot Springs, Arkansas. I shared with him my dilemma. We prayed about that, uh, searched the scriptures, and through that process, the Lord revealed to me that he had saved me to work within racing, not to leave it, but to take the talent and ability, do the best that I could, uh, all the while endeavoring to live a life that would be pleasing to him and be open to any opportunities to share that uh, with those around about me. And so that was, that was my focus from 84 until 2005 when the Lord led me to retire. And when I retired, it was pretty obvious I was to fill up my days going about telling people about the awesome love of God that's available through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, in a nutshell, it's, it's full-time ministry. Um, I'm very privileged to get invitations to uh, speak at various events, uh, various organizations, uh, different churches, prayer groups, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, uh, and just tell my story. And, and uh, it's, it's just a joy to serve the Lord in that way. And uh, as I go about my way every day, I, I endeavor to be, um, as you so kindly put it, a, 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 an encouragement to those that I, that I come in contact with. My heart's desire, my prayer every day is that everyone that I would be privileged to come in contact with, may I be a source of encouragement to them, a godly witness and a positive influence. 
Well, you certainly are, and at times I've been around you. We've got a couple minutes left here, Pat. Off the air, we were talking about the myriad of, of people that, that are attracted to racing and, and how what a wonderful game it really is. And, I mean, you know, that in itself brings joy, I think. And I think what's great is the fact that you do – have so much respect of people in racing it, it just people want to approach you but you are extremely approachable and i think that's got to help you in getting your word out well i i trust that it does but you know racing is made up with of, of a a very unique group of people it's it's a it's a cross-section of society from the very wealthy to the very poor all drawn together uh centered around this creature called the horse uh, in the competition of, of racing, and it, it's it's a unique blend of individuals, and it's it's a joy to be around them, and and uh, uh, to be a source, hopefully, a source of encouragement to them. Well, uh, obviously, it it, it it is shown through. You you have not nothing but the uh, most uh, utmost respect, uh, not only of your peers as riders, but of. Uh, the public in general. I just, I just love seeing you in a public setting and watching people approach you and watching them light up and, and your response to them. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the impact you have on each individual. Well, you know, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, John, and I, I feel very blessed, very privileged uh, to have had the successful racing career and, and to be able to, to do what we've done. Uh, but I, I love people. And, and if what, what the Lord has enabled me to accomplish uh, warrants them asking for an autograph or, or to take a picture, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm honored that they would, that they would ask that, and, and it's a joy for me to, to accommodate them. Well, you, you certainly do, and, and I can tell people out there that uh, uh, to, to be around you is, is, is to be blessed, quite frankly. Uh, I've told you uh, on several occasions, and my son still remembers the day uh, that, that you st- was uh, What a Difference a Day Makes tour uh, for the chaplaincy that you kicked off at River Downs, and he came away from that day going, boy, that is some special person, Dad. He, he was only about 10 years old at the time, mm-hmm. and I, I certainly appreciated the impact you had on him, and I certainly appreciate the, the time that you took out of your schedule uh, to, to be with our, our listeners on Winning Ponies, and I just I look forward to the next day I get to see you in person, Pat. Well, that's very kind of you, John, and likewise. Um, and, and from our house to yours, God's continued blessings uh, to all of your listeners. And uh, just keep up the good work, John. Keep representing this wonderful sport of horse racing, uh, raising up the interest for and, and in this, this great sport, and uh, move on, brother. God bless you. <laughs> I will. Thank you very much. Hall of Famer Pat Day, it'll be awful hard to meet a greater guy than him. And, again, he's very approachable. If you're ever at a racetrack where Pat is, feel free to come up and say hi because he will not turn you away. All right. Well, we're going to come up to a bit of uh, maybe, I wouldn't call it a handicapping segment of the program, but we're going to be talking horses with uh, one of the most respected uh, horse riders in the country, that being Stephen Christ of the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. 
America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, one of the most accomplished people in thoroughbred racing, Stephen Christ, uh, like me, has over 30 years of experience uh, in racing, although his is at a much different level. He was a New York Times reporter from 81 through 90. Uh, you've, you've seen him on television. Uh, hopefully you've read his, his writing. Um, he uh, is the uh, author of Off Track, uh, The Horse Traders, Betting on Myself, Exotic betting, um, and uh, he was the uh, CEO of the Daily Racing Forum, and continues to serve as its editor and publisher emeritus. Just as uh, Bucky Sally is now the Bugler emeritus at Keeneland, he was the publisher emeritus at the Daily Racing Forum. Stephen Christ, how are you doing? Hey, John, doing good. Um, well, you know, I, I want to cover a range of topics uh, with you that, that I know that uh, uh, you are going to be just fine and be able to knock these out of the park. But if anybody goes up on the, the Racing Forum's uh, site, uh, there's a headline saying, Staying within division should be out of fashion by fall. And I think your reference to just like not wearing white shoes after Labor Day, <laughs> they, they ought to start, uh, you know, running, running against their elders. Um, uh, it's kind of interesting. You, you kind of point out that this traditionally was a time of year where the best three-year-olds would start putting on their big boy shoes and taking on their older shoes. And, you know, I'm reading uh, earlier on the show about departing, going with the Oklahoma Derby. And, of course, uh, just last week uh, we saw the uh, – the race down at Parks, uh, where uh, the the lure of, of money brought away some of the top uh, three-year-olds, uh, you know, the, the Travers won two winners. Uh, could you elaborate for anybody who doesn't have Internet and can't read your article uh, about the point you're trying to make there? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very old-fashioned about this, and, uh, you know, I think that once you get the Labor Day, the three-year-olds should start running against their elders. Uh, you know, the, the game, the way it was played, you know, when I first came around was that that was really the thrill of the fall. You know, you kept them apart early in the year, the three-year-olds as opposed to the older horses. 
Then in the fall, they were supposed to run against each other, and not just once at the end of the season, uh, but when horses actually raced every two or three weeks, uh, you'd get those clashes in the Woodward, then the Marlboro Cup, then the Jockey Club Gold Cup, uh, and then, you know, of course, the Breeders' Cup came along. But, you know, to me, racing needs million-dollar races restricted to three-year-olds like a hole in the head uh, in (laughs) September, because in September the three-year-olds should be running against their elders. And, you know, I, I'm not knocking the people who ran in those races at parks. I mean, if someone's going to put up a, a million dollars and you don't have to face the best horses in the division, much less older horses, uh, sure, go ahead, take the money. But I, I think that racing would be better if we had fewer and clearer paths to championships instead of all this splitting horses up all year long until we get to the Breeders' Cup. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think you pointed out it seems to be happening a little bit more uh, in the eastern region than it does in California. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe people in California can't relate to it. So the analogy I made was, uh, you know, what if Portland Meadows uh, had slots money to burn and was putting on million-dollar races for three-year-olds this weekend that were pulling horses out of Santa Anita? And... You know, I just think it would have been much better for the game if Will Take Charge had joined the cast of the Jockey Club Gold Cup and if Close Hatches, uh, you know, whose people think is deserving of consideration for a championship, well, then she should run in the Bell Dame against Princess of Silmar and Royal Delta instead of running in a million-dollar race against nobody in Pennsylvania. Yeah, we handicapped that race last week. and uh, I was with uh, Tom Lamar from the Blood Horse, and we, you know, when we looked at it, we both said, well, you know, it's a pretty solid field. There's a few upstarters in there, but let's face it, Close Hatches is just the class of this group, and, and she proved it running down through the lane last week. Um, I wanted to, to get your read, of course, for you know, only you know, weeks away, I guess you could say, uh, of, of the Breeders' Cup. Uh, what's your read? Number one, going back to the expansion of having uh, so many races added to it in so many divisions. Uh, do you find that exciting? Do you find that, that that's good for the better because they get to bet on two-year-old fillies on the turf? Or, or, or do you think enough is enough uh, now adding Arabians to the mix? Well, you know, what I wish they'd done when they expanded it was to keep the original Breeders' Cup races on Saturday and say, this is the real Breeders' Cup. If they want to have a, a warm-up day on Friday for kind of small, niche, oddball divisions, two-year-olds on the turf and turf sprinters and things like that, that that's fine. It's another great big day of racing. But I think the way that they tried to, to split it up, uh, you know, by sex and Philly Friday, uh, that was just kind of dopey because the very best Phillies in the Breeders' Cup we're often running against males on, on Saturday. So it was kind of not the best Phillies Friday. Uh, you know, I wish they would go back, have the original seven races, run those on Saturday. But if they want to have a warm-up day first, I got no problem with another good day of racing and betting. Right. I, I agree with you. But they, they, I, I just think they should have some solidity to the fact that the whole idea was we want to have a Super Bowl of racing. Well, they don't have two Super Bowls, <laughs> you know. And, yep. uh, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of thinned it out. And what was one of the original objectives was to get America's eye on our sport on a national level 
for one afternoon. Yeah, to, to have kind of an, an end-of-year counterbalance to the Triple Crown in the spring and to showcase that racing is, you know, a lot more than three-year-old males. Uh, I think the Breeders' Cup is one of the greatest things that's happened to racing, uh, but I, I'm not sure about the current stewardship of it uh, because I, I think it's a disgrace that we're running it in California almost every year. Well, you just took my next question away from me, and I was going to say, what is your opinion of a permanent site, and don't you think that does give a little bit of an edge to the guys that are out there all year? Yeah, I just think it's so contrary to the spirit uh, of the Breeders' Cup when it started. And, you know, to cut through everything, we have three major racing centers in this country, in New York, California, and Kentucky. And in each one of those places, a track that's very well-suited to hosting a Breeders' Cup, right. in Belmont, Churchill Downs, and Santa Anita. For the life of me, I don't understand why we don't have a permanent rotation of those three tracks. You can then have a separate discussion. Well, should there be a, a fourth one, you know, kind of wild card? Maybe yes, maybe no. But the whole idea of the Breeders' Cup was to move it around not to give one area of the country an edge year after year after year. And I, I think it's very dangerous what they're doing. Uh, I, I think that it could marginalize the Breeders' Cup. I, I think you could see Easterners get really tired of this. Uh, and, and I just feel like they're betraying John Gaines's original concept. I, Stephen, I absolutely uh, agree with you. You know, I have uh, you know friends of mine that know that uh, I'm involved in racing that are just you know down at Flanagan's Pub, and they're like, "Hey, you going to the Breeders' Cup?" Because they know how many times I've been to the Breeders' Cup. Maybe if it was in New York or at Churchill, because I can drive there. You know, I'm like, "Nope, I'm not going to the Breeders' Cup." Because by the time you add in you know you, you, your flight and trying to find a hotel out there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit out of my pocketbook range, and I think, you know, that way you're kind of eliminating Joe Sixpack from getting his day in the sun to see racing's greatest horses uh, in the spotlight. Yeah, and you've got these very enthusiastic fan bases in New York and Kentucky, and, you know, if they had a Breeders' Cup every four years, uh, they would, as they have in the past, really rally around it. And I just feel like they're alienating a lot of fans and a lot of horsemen this way. Well, uh, I'll have to co-sign that. Well, uh, let's take a couple of minutes uh, to talk uh, about the three-year-old division kind of sorting itself out. Then we'll go to a brief break, and we'll come back, and we'll take a look at uh, uh, Super Saturday with a broad brush. Uh, what do you think? I mean, originally when Orb won the Kentucky Derby, I was kind of getting on the Orb bandwagon, hoping for a triple crown winner, and he was so sensational, had such great connections and pedigree, and then all of a sudden it just became race after race after race. You saw a different three-year-old jumping up and winning, uh, and now you're seeing the same thing happen just in the last couple of weeks. Well, you know, it's it's great fun. I mean, we we don't have at this point a great three-year-old, um, and I think people got a little too excited about Orb uh, because we all wanted to like him. I mean, we all like the connections, um, right. but you know, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer at this point. So uh, I'm not disappointed that we didn't have a Triple Crown winner this year, and we had five different winners of the five big races for three-year-olds. Uh, I think everything's going to be decided 
first in the Jockey Club Gold Cup and then in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And the first question, of course, is going to be, are these three-year-olds good enough to beat the best older horses? Uh, that's the fascination of the fall, and we'll start finding out Saturday at Belmont. Well, we certainly will because it's been it's been the the deck has been spread, and it'll be interesting to see if any of these uh, these uh, younger horses can, can knock off the older ones. I am kind of glad to see you know some. I don't know if, if it's a trend or if it's just Bill Mott or uh, guys keeping horses like uh, um, Royal Delta and Flat Out in training as they get oh, older. You know, we're not seeing them so being shuttled the off the breeding shed. Uh, I wish we had more of it. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll address that a little bit. But what I want to do is we're going to take uh, a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to take a look at Super Saturday. And, again, we're not going to break down every race, but uh, we'll just take a look at each one, paint it with a broad brush, if that's okay with you. We're talking with Stephen Christ from the Daily Racing Forum, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with Stephen Christ of the Daily Racing Forum. Of course, it's Super Saturday. Actually, not only at Belmont Park, but out at Santa Anita. But since I'm talking to a guy from the Big Apple, we're going we're gonna to stick with the New York races. But it's funny, on both coasts, we're seeing several of these uh, big stakes races where they're rematches of their previous race. They're not ducking anybody. And uh, I'm going to kind of work backwards here, Steve, if it's okay with you, because I want to make sure that we get our teeth into uh, uh, the Jockey Club Gold Cup Invitational uh, uh, race that was dominated for years uh, by Kelso with, with uh, five consecutive runnings. Uh, but there's also been two-time winners. We're going to get to see one flat out who will be in the, uh, the a list with Nashua, Shuvi, Slew of Gold, Creme Fresh, Skip Away, Curlin. Uh, this just seems to be his race. And 
Belmont Park seems to be his track. Six starts, five wins, and a third. But he's going to be right in there with Alpha, and they just traded heads last time out. Uh, how do you how do you see the Jockey Club Gold Cup? Well, you know, flat out has to be taken very seriously. Uh, it's a combination of his running styles, very well suited to Belmont, and also Belmont has said uh, flat out comes into form every year right around this time of the year. You know, he's he's at his best, uh, and he improves race to race, and, and I expect him to be right there at the end of the race. But this is a terrific field. Uh, you've got the, the Derby and the Belmont winner in Orban Palace Malice running against older horses for the first time. And, you know, I salute their connections for running here instead of going uh, down to the Pennsylvania Derby. And then you've got the, the fastest horse in the race in cross traffic, uh, who is really a terrific horse, and he won the Whitney last time out. And the fascination with him is going to be, can he go 10 furlongs? You know, he just about lasted going nine. He's probably at his most brilliant going a mile or a mile and an eighth. And he's going to be trying to stretch out here. So uh, you've got a bunch of very good horses and a a bunch of kind of subplots. Absolutely. Again, it it will be interesting in uh, year-end standings and to see who goes on to the Classic if – you know, if one of the three-year-olds could jump up here, I mean, uh, Palace, Malice, and, and Orb bring great credentials into the race. But, again, it's glad to see that it, they, they stuck around New York. Of course, they both have great, great connections. And uh, as far as cross-traffic is concerned, I'm trying to think. We'll see another horse on the card uh, trained by uh, Pletcher, uh, Gradar. And in a, the NTRA conference this week, you know, people were saying, how come you took your time and these horses, did they have a hitch in their get-along? And he just said, well, if you've been around unbridled songs, they tend to just take a little while to develop, and you've got to be, you know, patient with them. They're kind of big. There's no reason you want to push them early. And so he, he's got two really nice, uh, you know, uh, unbridled songs there. And Cross Traffic, yeah, it certainly uh, raised a lot of eyebrows uh, um, since uh, he's come to the races now at four. And, I, again, I hope so, these are some of these horses that they don't rush off uh, to, to stud right away. Well, I said, well, we're backwards and I lied because I, I want to go to to a race that, to me, has a lot of interest. Yeah, just as far as uh, somebody that didn't duck anybody, and that's Princess of Silmar against Royal Delta. This will be in the Beldame. It's a Grade One, four hundred thousand. It'll be run as race five on the card. But the scenario there, Stephen, uh, how, how do you see this coming up? Well, I, first, you're, you're absolutely right. This is the other really big race on the card, uh, to my mind, because you've got two division leaders, uh, Royal Delta, uh, you know, who's already been named the, the country's champion older filly a couple of times, uh, and Princess of Silmar, who is just about a cinch to be the champion three-year-old filly, uh, even if she doesn't win another race this year, because she's already won uh, the Kentucky Oaks, the CCA Oaks, and the Alabama. And that's a tremendous resume for a three-year-old filly. And I, I really salute her owner, Ed Stanko, for saying, you know, I want to run her against Royal Delta. This is what you're supposed to do with the best three-year-old filly in the country, not, you know, duck her until the Breeders' Cup. So to have this confrontation a month before the Breeders' Cup is is a real treat. Uh, it is a two-horse race. I mean, there's not 
really another legitimate grade one horse in the field. And Royal Delta, uh, you know, has the advantage not only of age and experience, but she looks on paper like the lone speed in the race. And that's going to make her very, very tough to run down, uh, you know, especially in a, in a one-turn race at, at Belmont Park. Well, well, well stated. I, I couldn't have said it better. It'll be very interesting. Like you said, uh, I think it's already been announced that uh, Princess of Silmar, this is going to be your last race. They're not going to go chase anything out at the Breeders' Cup. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that, that's what I've heard. I don't know that they've, you know, said it's a hundred percent, but I know that's what they're inclined. They've done enough to be the champion three-year-old filly. Uh, you know, they're taking their shot at Royal Delta now. And, you know, they're not thrilled with the idea of having to go to California. Uh, let's move, move on again. Uh, we've got a couple more races on Super Saturday. Uh, the Kelso Handicap's going to go at a flat mile. Uh, it's a gray two. And I guess the, the horse I, I'd like you to comment on in here is Gray Dar, another Pletcher trainee. I already mentioned it's a, a, a late-blooming uh, uh, unbridled song, four-year-old. But, boy, when I look at the daily racing form and I see those gaps in, be, in between every line, is it just that uh, Pletcher knows exactly how he has to baby this colt along to get the best out of him? I mean, let's face it, he's four for five, he's won over 600,000. Well, I, I mean, I don't think it was by design to give him a, a six-month layoff since March. Uh, he's, he's obviously got his issues. I can't speak to them in a veterinary sense. Uh, and my impression is that they don't really know where they are with him. Uh, I mean, if he comes back and, and runs lights out and finishes well, he's a candidate for the Classic. More likely, he's a candidate for the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, uh, which I think is, is another reason that they're bringing him back in the Kelso uh, rather than in the Gold Cup or another route race. Uh, the, uh, the, the next race on the, on the program is the, the Vosburg Invitational. It's a uh, grade one. I'm not sure how they send the invites out. Brought to be- together, I think, one of the most competitive fields of the day. There's horses where you can throw the race, their last race out. Uh, there's 100 uh, buyer figures speckled all over uh, the past performances. Uh, the, the horse of interest to me that I'd like to get your read on is the horse that won it last year, and that's the Lumber Guy, another horse that uh, had, had a bit of a layoff. It's a New York bred. It came back in a state bred race at Saratoga recently, ran to the front as the odds-on favorite, and, and got beat. Uh, was, was that a solid prep? Was that a solid warm-up? I'm guessing you were in the press box to watch that race. Yeah, I mean, you know, you really can look at it either way. I mean, the optimistic view is that, you know, he ran pretty well off a long layoff and he should be better and tighter this time. I mean, on the other hand, you're talking about the Breeders' Cup sprint runner-up, you know, coming back against New York Breads, and, and, I mean, he really was supposed to win that race. And he hasn't run a good race since the Breeders' Cup sprint, I mean, he had a disastrous winter in California, then was off a long time and got beaten by state bread. So uh, to me, he's, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if he improves and regains his form. Uh, I'm also not going to be surprised if he gets beat because he's, he's coming off a defeat in a much easier race that he should have won. Well, again, you know, I've got the, the, the highlight I'm on top of my PPs. Is, uh, this is very, very competitive and perhaps the best of the day. Well, I'll tell you what, Stephen Christ, 
we've uh, we've covered so much ground in so little time. I think we'll pass on, on the Flower Bowl and and the Joe Hurst Turf Classic, and people can just uh, read the Daily Racing Forum to get their opinions of your uh, your writers out there. But I want to thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us this evening and uh, bringing us into Super Saturday. Well, thoroughly enjoyed it. Good talking to you. All right, Stephen Chris from the Daily Racing Forum. I want to thank him. I also. Uh, Want to give a tip of the hat to uh, uh, Pat Day, the Hall of Famer. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I know I certainly enjoyed uh, talking to him very, very much. And, uh, again, I want to uh, give my condolences to the family of uh, Father Frank Niehaus, just a great, great guy in the racing game. And that's what we try to do here at Winning Ponies is is bring bring the best to you and kind of broaden your mind about the game of racing. Hopefully we put you on some winners, and hopefully you'll uh, go back to a Winning Ponies website and get yourself some uh, easy win uh, tip sheets because they had some big winners all week long. Well, for Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, if you take a loved one to the races, practice safe bets. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.